this morning, as we are uh, continuing to re- uh, learn more about Revelation, um, I want us to kind of do a recap uh, a moment. If you're here for the first time, um, this is going to be a whirlwind recap. And so uh, the first chapter of Revelation, uh, we kind of started in this, this moment where John, the, the revelator, <laughs> is on this island of Patmos. He is, he is isolated. He has he is, uh, found himself in chains or is isolated on this island, does not have any food and water. That's where he's probably writing this from. And he's actually sharing this, this, uh, say this letter to the churches. And this letter is to share what his vision is and what he's seen. And so the first thing that he, is, he comes to is that he comes in the, in, and hears this voice from heaven crying out and telling him to come and see what is to take place and what is going to take place before God's, for God's plan to work out. And see, Revelation is God's plan fulfilled. But it's, it's we're waiting for this, and, and we're waiting for God's plan to move forward and to be fulfilled. It is partly fulfilled in Christ now, but we are waiting for that second coming of Christ as well. And so John's, John's revelation is this moment where John has taken up to see God's vision. He's taken up to see what God wants to happen and things to happen and also things that have already happened. And then there's those letters to the churches that came in the middle of all that. And we have, this, uh, we have these letters that actually are sharing with us as a church. They're sharing with specific churches that are around, but also at, with us as a church as a whole, of how we should be as followers of Christ, what we should be doing with our time, what we should be doing and not doing, and how we should also continue to follow Christ in a way that is pure to our calling and, and is pure to what God has called us to do. In other words, don't lose your heart. Don't lose what is the, the heart of the gospel, which is to love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we forget that, in the midst of all we do, we forget what the gospel is all about. And what Jesus wanted to teach us to do is to love others the way he loved us. And so we continued this, this journey, and, and John's going further and further into this moment where God, and he is, he's caught up in this, in this worship of God. And now we're going to see that, we, we also saw that, that a part of this was him seeing how important Christ is to this. And in fact, it started out as where, where God was this. God was on the throne. He was speaking, and all the all of those creatures that were around him, who were worshiping him, all of the elders there, the twenty four elders who were there, were worshiping him. But it got even greater when the one who stepped forward, the one that stepped forward to open up the scroll, the one that was the only one who could break the seal, who was Christ Jesus, stepped forward, and all of a sudden, the entire heaven was had erupted in this powerful triumph that Jesus was there and God's plan was going to be fulfilled. And now we see that the seals are going to be broken. And this morning we're going to start talking about some things that where it gets a little bit more difficult to try to figure out exactly what John means. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to say this is what it is. I'm going to share with you the most, uh, for me, the, the tradition of the church and how the church has, has interpreted what John is meaning here and how it, it relates to Jesus' gospel, Jesus' Jesus's good news of who he was and how he, he died on the cross for us and how he rose from the dead, how we can come to know him as our Savior. This is all a part of what this gospel continues to be in John the Revelator and what he is trying to share with us. 
And so this morning, as we start looking at these, this first part of it, where you're going to recognize what's, uh, four of the most uh, important, or I guess well-known parts of our, our people in, in Revelation, the four horsemen. <laughs> and no, I'm not talking about the WWE wrestlers from back in the 1980s and 90s. The, they were the horsemen, if anybody was a part of that group. I'm talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I mean, these, these guys, if you don't know, if you know anything about Revelation, you, you will see these on any movie that talks about apocalyptic, apocalyptic uh, moments, and you'll see these horses show up and these riders show up in any movies, any shows, because they're so well-known, but they're so misunderstood. And so I want to kind of share a little bit about who the, what's going on here and help, how it helps us in our faith, how it helps us as we grow in, in, our, in our love of God and how we, can, how we can also grow in our faith of God. And so let's continue to read through this, and, and we'll begin with uh, chapter 6, verse 1. And it says, I watched as the Lamb opened up the first of seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened up the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come, and then the other ho- another horse came out, a fiery one. Its rider was given the power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword." The lamb opened up the third seal, and I heard a living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. And when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there, was, there before me was a pale horse, and its rider was named Death. And Hades was following close behind him. They were given the power over fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because the word of the Lord and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? And they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and thanks be to God. This sounds like a terrible passage. I mean, when I came to it, I was like, well, I guess we're going to learn about something that's not uh, easy to read through. And, and God's Word doesn't always have to be, you know, sunshine and rainbows, right? Uh, God's Word is tough sometimes. It, it hits us. Sometimes it steps on our toes. Sometimes it's hard to figure out. But when God speaks to us in those moments, they are times where we can really grow in our faith. And I hope this is one of those times for you. So up in, the, up in this moment, uh, again, this revelation has been pretty easy to interpret. It's pretty straightforward as long as you understand the number stuff and understand that you know, each number means a certain 
image that it's trying to trying to share. We we shared that uh, ten can mean completeness. Twelve could also mean that same thing. Uh, tw- you know, when you're talking about twenty-four elders, we're talking about the two sets of elders. One being the t- twelve tribes of Judah. The other twelve being possibly the the twelve disciples who followed Christ. And this idea that God is there at the beginning and God is going to continue to be with us throughout. And we also see that there's four, and four being created order. And if we go back to that and look at this passage, we know that four being created order, that this plan for the horsemen to be out is God's created plan. God knows what's going to take place and is not just allowing stuff to happen at random. God knows what's going to be going through and how it's going to go through. And so as we see this taking place, we've got four seals that, are bro- that have broken, uh, or break, broken open and, this, and the horsemen step forward. And they, they look at, at almost like this big, these big sections of a large sequence of events that take place. Now, this is where I think modern interpretation gets some things a little bit off kilter, okay? See, if you look through the rest of Scripture, it talks about a day in where God will judge all of human beings, the day of judgment, judgment day. We've heard it in several, you hear it in several times from our prophets. You hear Jesus talk about it. There will be one person in a field, another one will be taken, the other one will be left. Judgment day, right? It's not judgment years or thousands of years. So I want to share something very important as we start going through these passages beginning in chapter 6 is that each of these, when we start describing these moments, are not a timeline that we're trying to follow and how God is doing these things all at once. They are different descriptions of how God is going to make sure he is bringing about his plan and he is judging the earth. They are different perspectives. We're going to look at things from from these writers today. Later on in in, uh, chapters 8 and 9, you're going to see that God starts, you look at the judgments coming in the forms of plagues. And it actually follows, if you go back to the plagues that took place in Egypt, it actually follows almost directly word or plague for plague of what takes place in Egypt. And so there are different interpretations or different looks at what is going on in Revelation. And so here we are looking at this big picture moment. Anybody a big picture person? No? Who's detailed? Who likes details? Some people like details. Some people like the big thing. Like I I just like saying, hey, we're going to go do this, and I don't know how we're going to get there. I just know everybody else has got to figure that out. And, and like, I've, I've done vacations like that, and my wife can't stand it. She wants to plan all the details out. We're going to do this this day. We're going to do that this day. And I'm like... I'm just wanting to go to Disney World. I, I don't care what happens. I'm just getting there. You can do the rest, right? <laughs> you know, I'll make that happen, and you figure out the rest. Anybody like that? That's how I am with I, I'm the big picture person. I like doing that kind of thing. And so this is good for me. I like to see this large scale of what's going on, and that's what this is taking place. So this first rider that comes out, the seal's broken. The lamb breaks the seal, and it's the first rider that comes out. It's white magnificent white horse. Has anybody seen a beautiful white horse before? My uncle used to have one on his farm for the longest time. He sold it. It was the most beautiful horse. It was the meanest horse he had, but it was beautiful. Um, I don't know how many times I got kicked by that thing. Um, but this, this white horse comes out, and this rider comes out, and it says that he is given a crown and a bow. 
and he is out, set out to conquer. And, and the word actually it says he set out to conquer, and it's not, it's not necessarily easy to hear this unless you, you see it in Greek. It actually says he's out to conquer for his victory. And sometimes it, it's interpreted as out to conquer in order to conquer, or it's out to conquer in order to win. But it's actually it's, he is out to conquer in order to win his victory. So this first white horse, traditionally in our church, going back to uh, back to early the early patristic fathers, actually shares that this is Christ Jesus bringing the gospel to the land. That the first white horse is coming out to conquer is the gospel being brought to the people of God. And that victory that's taking place is Christ on the cross. He has died for our sins. He has risen to victory. And the gospel is that good news of knowing who Jesus Christ is. That's what God is bringing. Because why would God allow anything to take place before he is allowing God's people to know who Jesus is, right? And so this first white horse that comes out is Jesus in his conquering in, in conquering the world in, in his name in the gospel. And Jesus doesn't do so in a way that, uh, that we understand. And it, 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 he, he does so in a way that is amazing. He does so through his word. And, and it even comes back to this later on in chapter 19. And, and that's what I call the victory chapter. That's where God wins. And, and no matter where we're interpreting things from beginning to end, if you actually go to all of the different interpretations, chapter 19, everybody says, God wins. No matter what, God wins in chapter 19. So if you want to read ahead and you're like, I can't wait to figure this out, it is an amazing chapter, and he is described, Jesus is described again as someone coming on a white horse. And what's amazing is, is it says that those in, in, as we skip later on in this chapter, in, in chapter, the, the last few verses, it says those that were crying out, the saints were crying out, they were given white robes. And white is a symbol of victory. The white horse is a symbol of victory. The white robes are a symbol of victory. Chapter 19, they show back up, and it says those that were with Jesus were given robes that were washed white as snow by his blood and were facing evil with Jesus in battle. So this first horse is sharing something very important, that the gospel is victory. Now, folks, we have to start sharing this with other people, that the gospel, the good news, is good news, not bad news. You know, I've heard people share this in ways that, that this blows my mind. They're like, you know, let me tell you about this guy, Jesus. I guess he can do something to change your life. Does that sound like good news to you? How, how many people have seen, uh, seen victory for one of their, their baby, their base, uh, baseball team, basketball team? It could be a, another type of sport. It could be, uh, I know some people follow, uh, I don't know, dancing, gymnastics, whatever. Has anybody ever seen a victory and they couldn't wait to tell everybody? Okay, that's me. When I see, when my team wins, you know me. When, I, my, when Duke wins, I'm up here in my Duke shirt. Every, every Sunday, because I'm like, I know they got state fans, I got UNC fans, I got some other, you know, I'm up here in my Duke. I want to make sure they know that my team won. And there's Bama fans in here. I'm not saying that's a good thing. <laughs> there's other, but when your team wins, right, it's good news for you, right? It's good news. There's a Cowboys fan down here. 
<clears throat> Sorry. Love you, Miss Angie. <laughs> but it's good news when your team wins, and, and you share it with good news. Would, are you going to go up to someone and say, you know, we won last night. I, I'm sorry to tell you this. I don't really like sharing this to you, but, you know, we won last night. We had victory. Does that sound like good news? But we, that's how we treat the gospel sometimes. And what it's sharing is that the gospel is, is something that conquers. It's not in a bad way. It's not saying it goes out and hurts people. It actually goes out and conquers. And in other words, it takes over our life and makes us victorious in Christ. And that's what's going on here. And we need to start being excited about sharing our faith with other people and find ways to do that. If we don't, then our, then our Lord is going to find someone else who will. <laughs> And I believe that we have people who are excited about sharing the gospel. We just got to find a way and an avenue to get them into that, to where they can, in a way that they understand how to. And if we can find a passion for someone or places for people to put their passions to work for Christ, they're going to find a way to share the good news of Jesus Christ, who is victorious. <laughs> and so this morning, that's the first thing that we notice from this, this uh, first horseman as being Jesus riding into victory. But then after this comes judgment. It comes destruction that happens on earth. So the next thing that happens, it says, when the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come, and then another horse came out, a fiery one. His rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So the second rider that came out was red. It, was like, it says it was like a fiery red, or it could be interpreted different ways, but the color is all the same, red being the, red being the color of blood, of war. And Jesus shares in the gospel that there will be wars, rumors of wars, famines, there will be death, all the things that take place for my coming. He says, I don't know when it's going to take place, but these are the things that you'll start seeing. And so when Jesus' victory, the gospel comes in, after that there is going to be times where there is suffering and there's death and there's destruction. And that's what takes place in the world. The judgment, when that comes, it's not going to be pretty. Jesus is a God who loves us, but our God also is one who expects us to follow him and to do the things that he requires of us. That's give him our life and give him our love and also to follow his ways. And I think that third thing is the hardest for us to do. I fail too. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, we, we, we try and strive and fail and sometimes we need people to keep us in line and I'm thankful for those people when they say, they, they call me on things. I'm like, hey, that's good. I need to know this because, you know, when, when I get out of line or when you get out of line, don't you want someone to actually help you get back in place so that you know what to do next? It doesn't feel good, but if you can accept those things, then you're able to go forward and live a better life for Christ. Our God here is sharing with us that, that after the victory, after this victor, victorious gospel, that there's going to be this time where there is a war, there is great there is a great uh, war and death that is coming. And then the lamb opened the third seal. And I heard a living creature say, come. And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. 
And we heard this before where it says that, that, that there's this voice that comes from one of the creatures. And it says, uh, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. Kind of a weird statement, right? Unless we go back to understanding the symbols that they're trying to bring. So first off, this two pounds of wheat and the six pounds of barley, that's just enough food for someone to eat every day and not starve during this time. And so what it's sharing with you is, and, and see this, this food that would be given out would not be given out to everyone, because if you were actually living in this time, then you would, and you were a child, so someone who wasn't able to uh, add any value to society, or a woman who was under men and was not actually in the same level as men. And I'm just telling you like it was. So anybody that's a, you know, that is being uncomfortable, this is just how things were back then. You wouldn't get this stuff handed out to you. It would only be handed to the head of your household. So what they're, they're saying here is that you are given these things that are required to keep one person alive so now you've got to choose which one in your family members is going to die. That's a tough suffering right there. So what God is sharing here is not saying that this is happening to his enemies. God is trying to share here that this is still going to take place even after the victory of the gospel. There are time, there's a time of suffering that's going to take place for us as well. Jesus doesn't say that everything is super easy after we, we come to know him as Christ. He says that my yoke is easy, my burden is light, but you still have to carry your cross as a Christian. Amen? So it's not going to be easy. There's still suffering to come, but you know the victory is taking place. And then the next thing that happens is the, the, the last seal or the last horseman is sent out, and it's the pale horseman the one of death, the final death, uh, all these different things that take, it's all the different avenues it gets to, but this horse represents death. And I always get here, and I, I pause for a moment, and I think, at my life, when I come to death, do I want to worry about what's on the other side of that, what's on the other side of this horse, <laughs> or do I want to know Jesus? And I do want to know Christ as my Savior. This is a point where no matter what, this sequence of events comes to a final death for all of us. It's going to come to a point where all of us are going to face that in our lifetime. And if you're facing it with Christ Jesus, if you're facing it with the Lord, then you know what's coming. But if you're not, you don't know what's coming. And I think that it's even affirmed of what's taking place here when we read nine, uh, verses 9 through 11 where it says, When I opened the fifth seal, I saw the altars of the souls who had been slain because of the word of the Lord and testimony they maintained. And it says, They called out, How long, sovereign Lord, will you allow this to take place? And he says, Until all the people who are supposed to suffer have suffered in my name's sake. And so you know that suffering is going to still take place. And our Lord is saying, be patient. Be patient and know that my plan is taking place like it should. I think that's a good word for us. 
the first off, the first thing that we should be getting from this is that there is victory in Christ our Lord. The first thing that takes place is that horse comes out victorious in the gospel. And that we should know that there is victory in our Lord. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that victory. We should know that, that Jesus is the answer to, to that hole that is in our lives, that place that needs to be filled, that space that we're looking and crying out to God. That is good news. Amen? So that's the first thing we need to recognize. But the second thing is, is that we need to be patient to see what God's plan is for us. I get impatient all the time. I mean, anybody impatient people, I, I, I know we, that, I, have, I have a problem with it. I get impatient in fast food lines. I mean, I, I, when I go to fast food and I'm like there for more than two minutes, I'm like, why haven't you cooked my cheeseburger already and had this ready for me? Or whatever it is, it could be. Now, Chick-fil-A's got it down. I don't know, I, I don't know something about that. You can go in that line and you're out in less than a minute. I mean, I don't know how they do it. But when I'm there for longer than I should be, anybody start getting impatient? Yeah, me. That's the, and, and see, what happens in our life is it, you come to know Christ, and, and then we get impatient because we're like, well, God, what do you want me to do next? I'm ready to go here. I'm ready to go there. And we start doing all sorts of crazy stuff. We'll go here. We'll go there. We'll do everything we can to try to do what God, what we think God wants us to do instead of listening and waiting and waiting for that gentle whisper to tell us where we need to be. We're not patient for God's plan to move us forward because we're scared that we're going to miss it. We're so worried about it being right or wrong that we, we're scared we're going to miss God's plan for us. And sometimes we make mistakes along the way because we're trying to push forward too fast. We're trying to do things too fast. So I think we have to be patient for God's plan as we know who God is. With, and we know God is victorious in Christ Jesus, and we have to be patient for him to lead us forward in the next steps of his plan. And then the next thing is that many of us need to hear that we need to stand in this victory, wait patiently, and we need to pray. See, the saints of God are not just waiting and, and not doing anything. They're praying and waiting for God to answer. I think we forget prayer sometimes. Like, I, when, I was, when I was growing up... Um, one of my uh, pastors, he was trying to teach us to pray, and he said, um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you guys how to pray. And so he said, I want you to go into the other room of the church. And so all of us went in, the other room, and he said, and I'm going to call you on the church phone. So he was in his office, and he called us. This, he, he was teaching youth, old pastor, yeah, I remember this guy. It, you know, I was ready for my youth leader to come back from a mission trip because we'd been there like three weeks for this old dude teaching us stuff. But I do remember this part of it. And he was trying to teach us about prayer, and we were, we were listening as much as we could. But this one thing he taught, he says, I'm going to go to the other room. And we picked up the phone, and he started talking to us. And he was asking questions, but he never gave us a chance to answer. And I remember he said, he said what do you want to do today? What, do you want, what, kind of, what food do you want to eat? What, and he, just start, he had these lists of about 40 questions over and over and over and over. And he never stopped for four minutes. And he hung the phone up, and he came into the room. He said, now I have a question for you guys. Were you able to answer any of that? We were like, no. <laughs> he didn't give us a chance to answer. He said, how does your prayer life look like this compared to this? And it just a moment to me still lasts in my spirit. 
that we need to give time and be patient for God to answer. When we ask a question, if we don't get the answer right away, it's okay. If we don't get it the next day, it's okay. God has gonna, is going to reveal the answer to us if we're patient and wait for his response. But if we go about doing things without God's response and we don't know for sure what God is leading us, we may be walking right into a disaster in our life. So when we're listening, we need to listen for God and patiently wait for God's plan to unfold, just like these saints around God's throne. And while we're doing this, just bask in, the, in, in this wonderful thing that we have, which is that we are victorious in Christ when we know Jesus our Lord. And it begins with that, that we're victorious. And if we live in that victory, we walk in life in that, we follow Christ, we, we patiently wait, we pray, we read scripture, we're going to run smack dab in the middle of God's plan. We can't miss it. It'll be right there. And all of a sudden, we're going to look around and be like, man, this boat's really cool to be on. <laughs> and I call it a boat. And people talk about the journey, the path, the plan. I think it's more of a boat. And I'll share this with you at this moment. We're all a part of the body of Christ. I shared that with the children this morning. But I think a ship helps us to understand what it's like to be the body of Christ more than any other vessel that you can think about. Because every person on a ship has a job to do, and if one person is not doing their job, the ship suffers. There's people that are, that are um, there to raise the mass. There's people that are to raise the sails. There are people there to, to, to steer. You have to have a captain to steer the boat. You have to have the wind that blows in the sails. I believe that's the Holy Spirit that's moving us forward. And when you get in that right sweet spot in a sailboat, it is the most beautiful thing to be on. It's quiet, and yet you're moving right where God wants you to. But there's moments where all of a sudden that wind shifts and you have to catch it and move, move into it just right. And there's other moments where if you get too much of it, it's going to blow your boat over because <laughs> you're not in the right spot. But we have to pray. We have to wait patiently. And if we are following God, we're going to find that place that we need to be and God's going to catch that wind and we're going to be on that boat with others. And they're, you're going to look around and you're going to say, you know what, God told me to be here. I don't know exactly what I need to do. But you're going to look at your person to the right and be like, you know what, they're doing this. The person to the left is doing this. And you got something right in front of you. Oh, maybe I need to be doing this. Because <laughs> you're in God's plan. You're right in the middle of it. Because you followed him in the ways that God has called you to. So this morning, I know it sounds strange to move from one thing to the other and that we're talking about horsemen and now we're talking about a boat. But remember that God's plan begins with victory in Christ. And yes, there are things that are going to come our way. We're going to suffer in life. The church is going to suffer at certain points in our life. It's happened through history, right? We, as people of God, have suffered at certain places in history, but in the end, if we are praying and patiently waiting, we're going to run right dab in the middle of God's plan. And there's victory. We're going to be given the white robes to be victorious in Christ our Lord. The reason I know this is because God says to us in Scripture that Jesus offered this meal to his disciples there last night. We're about to receive uh, as a, some kind of a, a part of that, uh, that whole ritual that took place 
Uh, if you were, go, were to go through that ritual, it would be almost two hours for a meal. But we're going to see a little part of it today where, where Christ offered, and he said, you know, this is my body. This is what I did for you. This is what I'm going to do for you. It's going to be broken for you because I'm, I'm allowing this to take place because I want you to know that I'm putting my sins of the world on my shoulders, and I'm going to be broken for you so those sins will be no more. My blood's going to be shed so it can wash you white as snow, and you can wear those white robes that are bright and brilliant and white. And, and when, when we partake of this meal, it is a taste. It is a taste of this beautiful meal and this banquet that we're going to be a part of in heaven. And as we're around that table, we're going to be able to look to our right and our left and say, yeah, these were the folks that were on the boat with me. These were the folks that suffered in life with me. But we were victorious in Christ our Lord. So let's pray. God, this morning I invite you and your Holy Spirit to be with us. That as we are here in this moment, that you make your presence known at this table. That those that are here and come to know you will come with open hearts and open hands and open minds, knowing that you are here with them. And Lord, as we pray, we pray that your, your life and your, your spirit are with us, that, that, they will, that we will come to know who Jesus is as our Lord through this meal, and that if, as he is here with us, that he, that he at this table gives us all we need. And so tonight, Lord, or today, Lord, we remember that night that you took the disciples in the room, and you broke the bread. Lord, you gave thanks for it. And you broke it saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Every time you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, you took the cup and you said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you, for the world, for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. So in these, your mighty acts, Lord, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with you and the church. And Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come upon, upon these gifts, make them be for, be for us the body and blood of Christ, so we may be for the, for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. Lord, we ask all these things. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, our Savior, who beckons our call to the table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
am yours, no longer my own. Put me to whatever you will. Place me with whomever you choose. For I am yours and you are mine. I am yours, no longer my own. Raise me up or bring me low. Use my all or lay me aside. I am yours and you are mine. So come like a fire, oh, burn in us. 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 yours no longer my own raise me up or bring me low use my all or lay me aside for i am yours and you So come like a fire, oh, burn in us. 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 Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing, let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me be all things, let me have nothing. Come like a fire hole, burn in us, come like a fire hole, burn like a fire oh, burn in us come like a fire oh, burn in us 
Would you receive the benediction? Go in the peace of Christ and go and let him fill you. Let him do what he will in you. Maybe it's fill you. Maybe it may be a time for him to empty you so that you may be able to receive his spirit more. But let go in his will. Follow his plan and go victorious knowing that he goes with you. And share that good news with others in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Go forth and peace.